All right, we are in a series called The Kingdom of Heaven, and it's on the parables in the book of Matthew. And so if you would mind standing to your feet with me, if, you, if possible, and here we are, Matthew 21. Jesus is speaking. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, would you open up our hearts to your word? Holy Spirit, you are the anointed one. You're the true teacher. You can, you can give each message exactly how it needs to come. Please help us hear and respond to your word today, God. We need you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message, even though the bulletin has a different title, is The Lord's Vineyard. Point one is the familiar and the unfamiliar. A parable is when Jesus would use something familiar that everybody understood, everybody knew exactly what he's talking about, to describe something about the kingdom of God that was unfamiliar to them. And we've talked about this, that the nature of a parable is if you are stubborn and lazy, its meaning will be hidden from you. That's what a parable does. But if you're, but if you're, if you're hungry and you are humble, a parable will actually reveal a truth deeper than if, you had just, if somebody had just told you what that truth was. And so this is the nature of a parable. And today, Jesus is giving something in Israel that is very familiar to them. That a rich landowner would often have their own vineyard, and then they would dig their own wine press, and then they would protect it from animals by having a wall around it, and then protect it from thieves by having a watchtower, and this is the vineyard. And then this idea that a wealthy person has interest in other cities or is going to some other place is easy to understand, and then in that case, he would rent his vineyard to someone else. Else, and they would pay rent by giving fruit from 
the vineyard. And so this is, this is all very understandable to them. Now the unfamiliar is how the kingdom of God is going to come at this time. Is anybody familiar with confirmation bias? Confirmation bias is when you, you already believe something, so it's very hard to change your opinion. With the Bible, you no longer believe what you read. You read what you already believe. And when somebody has confirmation bias, it's hard for them to learn something new. And so to, to, um, to grasp what Jesus is saying here, you need to understand the tremendous confirmation bias in that day, not just the Pharisees and the religious leaders, but his disciples too. Messiah was going to come as a stone. This is Daniel 2, 44. And he was going to hit all of the kingdoms of man and they were going to be disintegrated and blown away. And that stone would grow to be a mountain and it would fill the whole earth and Israel would be the head of the nations. This is the narrative. Messiah is going to save us from Rome and he is going to put us in our rightful place at the head of the nations. And they can't wait for Israel to be restored. So that's why Messiah is the answer to everything. And Jesus comes and he speaks. And it's very hard to speak to people with confirmation bias because they're so stuck. And Jesus says, not gonna be like this. The way the kingdom of God is coming right now is not the way you think it's going to come. In fact, the stone that the builders rejected is that the builders are the Jewish people. They're, going, they're rejecting the stone. And God is going to build something new with another people. This is very, very hard for them to hear. So he's drawing on a parable that was familiar to every Jew that was listening. This parable had been given in Isaiah, 900 years earlier, Isaiah chapter 5, 1 through 7. And in that story, the vineyard belongs to God. God himself is the owner. And the people of Israel are the vineyard. And the fruit that he wants is righteousness and justice, that God has this chosen people that on earth are going to reveal his beauty and his ways and his kingdom, that, that they are going to be a light to the nations. That is what the fruit is that he's looking for. But even at that time, 900 years earlier, what he's seeing is just the opposite. Instead of living differently than the nations. He sees bloodshed. He sees dog-eat-dog, rat race. He sees his people living exactly like everyone else. And there is an outcry for justice. So I'll just read to you verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed but behold bloodshed for righteousness, but behold an outcry. Now the, the outcry is a reference to Genesis 4.10. That when God first made family, uh, Cain kills his brother Abel and, and he, God comes out to Cain and says, where's your brother? He says, I'm my brother's keeper. And here's what God says. The blood 
of your brother is crying out to me. It's crying out for justice. It's crying out for justice to come. And so, so God asked these guys. He, he asked these Jewish people, gives them a parable that they totally understand, and he, and, he, and he puts them in the owner's place. And he says, what should he do to these, to these tenants? So 2012, we had this unsold house in Montevideo. And you kind of have to decide what you're going to do when you have an unsold house. Because if you rent it to somebody... It, it helps pay the bills. It helps you because you still have to make that payment. And in Montevideo, you have to pay heat because during the winter, those pipes will freeze very easily. So, I mean, it's a, it's a lot to take on because you've got something here and you've got to pay for something there. And, and so uh, renting it out helps pay the costs. But there's always a risk with renting that they're going to destroy the house. And then it's going to be even harder to sell. And we, were, we really wanted to sell but it wasn't selling. We're going into winter, and I've got a, a service there. And the, the guy that worked for me, he, he, he said, do you, do you want to rent this out? And he said, I've got a single mom with um, a daughter. She just got a job at this hospital, and it's a new beginning for her. She needs housing. Um, do, you, do you want to rent to her? And I'm like, you know, how much difficulty could come? And so yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. And so January's payment is made and February's payment is made and things, to be, things, things seem to be going well. Well, it's a, it's a small town and March comes and he lets me know that her boyfriend moved in with her. Okay. I am not the moral police. I'm a landlord. That's okay, whatever. They're, they're living life as long as they make their payment. Well, then in June... The, uh, the payment came, came late, and he had, to, he had to call them, find out what was going, and, but, but they eventually got it, and, and then came September. September, they didn't pay rent, and when he called them, they had a lot of excuses. Please have mercy on us. You know, we will, we will pay up. And I've been that guy that couldn't pay rent, and so I'm filled with mercy. Yeah, we'll give them more time, no problem. And so... But they don't pay September, and they don't pay October, and now they're not returning calls. And December comes, and the rumors around town is this is now a party house, and they are doing drugs there. And so I'm the owner. How many know it is my right as the owner to evict them? And so I said to my guy, I said, listen, you got you to let them know. December 31st, they're gone. They need to have other arrangements. The idea of me getting any money back from them I, was not going to happen. And so, so we evicted them. And we went in, and the house was just ruined. It was, it was horrible. But that's, that's, a, that's a story for another day. Okay. My only point is this. The owner has a right to do whatever he wants to with his own property. Now, in this situation, Jesus says, what, what should this landowner do? And they don't say, well, he should fire those tenants and find some other tenants. Here's why. They had killed the messengers. 
They had killed his son. This is not a matter of just firing. They need to come to arrest. They need to be killed. And what Jesus is, is describing is God's relationship with Israel. That God, in his mercy, sent prophets to them. First Moses and, and then Samuel and, 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 and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah and and they struggled with anybody that told them the truth, and pretty soon they started killing their prophets. Isaiah was sawn in two. Jeremiah was beaten. Zechariah was killed at the altar. They didn't want to hear truth anymore. So then God sends his son. This is, of course, the great promise of Christmas. Isaiah chapter 9, the, the people of Galilee, the people of Zebulun, those walking in darkness are going to see a great light. And then verse 6, of what the light is. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. But Jesus said, no, the son given to you is not going right into his kingdom. You're, you're, going, to, you're going to kill him. And what will God's response be? God's response to the Jewish people is not going to be that this is their time of exaltation. This is going to be the time of their judgment. You thought Messiah was the time that all of Israel's problems go away. No. When Messiah first comes, there's going to be judgment on Israel. And it's going to be horrible judgment for their response. When God sends somebody to us that we kill, this would be like the United States sending Anthony Blinken, our, our Secretary of State, over to Russia to, to do a deal to stop the war and Russia killing Anthony Blinken. Do you understand that that's an act of war? You, you are now at war with the United States. We, our representative was sent. You killed him. You are at war with us because he represented us. So Jesus in Luke 19, he weeps when he comes into Jerusalem. He said, if only, if only you had recognized the time of your visitation, but now you're, it's hidden from you. And every stone is going to be turned over and your children are going to be dashed and it is going to be horrible. And he's, he's weeping over them about what is coming to Israel. He warns his disciples. He says, listen, in this generation, before you guys die, in the generation I'm speaking, there is going to be, and here's all of the signs, there's going to be an abomination. The Roman army is going to surround Jerusalem. And when you see that happen, it is not the time of Israel's deliverance. It's the time of their judgment. You need to flee, pray that it's not a Sabbath, get out of there. This is going to be a time of horrible judgment on Israel for rejecting all of God's dealings with them. So what happened in, their, in that generation? It's unspeakably horrible. In 70 AD, during Passover, 
Passover is when all the Jews were gathered from all over the world. More than two million Jews are gathered. And while they're gathered, Titus, the Roman general, surrounds Jerusalem with, with the army and lays siege. And that siege lasts all the way into August. When they finally break into, they, they, keep, they keep killing. Any Jew that tries to escape gets killed, um, oftentimes crucified. Many Jews are starving inside. They keep going into the temple, into the temple. And finally, in August, Titus sets the temple on fire. It melts the gold that was around it. And that's why every single stone of the temple was turned over to get the gold. Josephus tells Josephus, a historian from that time, tells the result. 1.1 million Jews were killed, either by starvation, crucifixion, or by the sword. 900,000 Jews became slaves that went into the nations. And Jerusalem was completely destroyed. It's terrifying. The Bible says... In Hebrews 10, 31, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You and I never, ever want God to be our enemy. So that's point one. Here's point two, the sun and the stone. So the sun and the tenants of the first parable, Jesus now shifts and they become the stone and the builders of the second one. He said the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So the cornerstone of a building in that day was the foundation stone, it was the first stone, and it was the stone by which every other stone in that building was going to be measured by. The, the, the cornerstone was everything. And even, even as the tenants started thinking, this is our own thing, we can do whatever we want, so the builders got to thinking, this is our building, we'll build it however we want to, and we don't want that cornerstone, we're going we're gonna to do something else. But God, God said, no, no, it's not your building to build, it's mine. And so Jesus quotes Psalm 118, verse 22, and he says, in the foreknowledge of God, he knew what the response was going to be. So November 23rd, this is last Wednesday. I have had a lot going. I usually am working on sermons long before, but I was not, I didn't, I didn't get to start working on the sermon till, no, till Wednesday. So I'm up early Wednesday. I always do my one-year Bible things first. And here is the one-year Bible reading New Testament on November 23rd. Here it is. This is New Living Translation, which I'm doing the one your Bible out of right now. Here it is. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust in him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word and they meet the fate that was planned for them. So what Peter does 
is he takes three Old Testament passages and puts them together to explain how the gospel functions. First, that God, this is Isaiah 28, that God has laid a stone in Zion, in Israel. That through the Jewish people, a stone was going to become. And this stone was going to be precious and it was going to be honored. And God not only chose this stone, but he also chooses everyone who trusts in this stone. The stone, then the second passage is the stone that the builders rejected, that the Jewish people rejected, God laid as the cornerstone for this this new people. Jesus said, I'm on this rock, I'm gonna build my church. It's It's a whole, it's a whole new thing. And then this confusing passage, he is a stumbling stone for the human race. This is in Isaiah 8, that God's stone, lots of people are going to stumble over this stone and they're gonna end up being crushed by the stone instead of saved by the stone. Why Why is Jesus a stumbling stone? How do human beings stumble over Jesus? Probably in a number of ways. I'm gonna just give you two that come right to mind. People stumble over Jesus first because they say, uh, because of pride. I don't need a savior. I don't need a savior. Thanks anyway. Jesus died for you and he loves you. Uh, Cool, Uh, but I'm doing just fine Thank you. Pride, you gotta watch out for pride. The Bible says that God resists the proud. You say, well, why would I need a savior? I, I'm a good person. Question, who told you you were a good person? Did you tell yourself that? And I don't, I don't doubt that you are a good person in the sense that you're better than most. This is where we get the idea we're good because we're, we, we're not as bad as somebody else and you can always find somebody that's worse than you. And that's the one you use. That's why people watch crime on TV. It's like it makes them feel better about their own life. It's like, well, praise God, I'm bad, but I'm certainly not that bad. Um, The Bible says that even our righteous deeds are as filthy rags in God's sight. God's not comparing you to your neighbor. God compares us to his own holiness, his own righteousness. Trust me on this. You need a savior. Trust me on it. What, what, what else would cause people to stumble? Some people, they, they've got a savior. It's just not that one. <laughs> they've got their own man-made religion or they've got money. Oftentimes, money is people's savior. If I just get enough money, uh, you know, I will be safe and, and money will always save me. And the Bible says that riches are deceitful. They seem to promise something that they cannot give. The Bible tells us very clearly, guys, in 100 years, all of our money is going to be absolutely worthless. It will, be, it will be like monopoly money after the game's put away. You're not going to be able to use it. Some people, it, their, their idol is their own work ethic. I'm going to make it because I'm a hard worker and I can always make it and I've got resilience and I can, I'll always persevere and I'm glad you got a good worth ethic. Don't make that your savior. And a lot of people in America right now, it's their mind. I'm smart. I'm smarter than God. I'm smarter than those Christians, those Bible simpletons. I'm smart. And that is what I am trusting. Watch out, guys. 
Watch out, God's ways aren't our ways and his thoughts aren't our, our thoughts. And just because you would never have made a world like this in your great wisdom, you wouldn't make a world like this, maybe God's got a bigger idea than you do. It's just, it's just really important that we humble ourselves before God. God pre-planned that those who stumble over Jesus will experience judgment. Those, the Jewish people experienced judgment in 70 AD. God will bring judgment. God thinks he's the one that has created you and redeemed you and that he has the right to judge you. And he will. He pre-planned beforehand, those who stumble over Jesus will be crushed by his judgment. But then this other phrase, those who trust him are not just chosen by him, but they will never be disgraced. What? I know Christians. Christians aren't that great. Christians mess up all the time. What about God's, the cry for justice for for Christians? Here's one of my favorite verses. It's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. And it's a, it's, a, it's a number of we come. We come to Mount Zion. We come to the new covenant. We come to the angels. And then it ends with this. We come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to his blood that speaks a better message than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cried out for God's judgment. It cried out, it speaks. The whole world is counting on God to judge, to bring righteousness, to bring justice where there has been evil and bloodshed and corruption. It, it cries out, that, that rings in his ears. God came in flesh and he died in our place and he shed his blood so that all of our sins would be judged and punished. Jesus rose from the dead, but his blood still speaks today. It speaks to God about our forgiveness. It speaks to God that sin has been paid for and justice, justice has been done. God judged sin in Jesus Christ. And when we trust in him, we will never come under shame. Now, the challenge for believers is to let the blood of Jesus speak to you. Revelation 12.10 reveals the enemy's plan. It says that he accuses them day and night as they come before the throne of God. The enemy doesn't want you in a right relationship with God, so he will accuse you day and night. The, the, the most vulnerable times of a Christian's life are early in the morning and late at night. The enemy wants to keep you from coming. So accusation comes. You did this. You did that. You're a horrible person. You're, you're a hypocrite. You're, you're this. You're that. You're that. And you, and you feel a little defenseless because, yeah, a lot of that's true. I'm not that great. And the Bible says they overcame him as the accuser. This is the next verse. They overcame him. Not by trying harder. Not by listening to the devil, all the good things that I did today. Here's how they overcame him. By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony about that blood. The devil never tells you the whole truth. The whole truth is this. Yeah, you haven't been great. Here, here's the whole truth. You're loved and Jesus died for you. And you need to let that blood speak to you. 
Because you and I need to come before the throne with confidence. We need to let that blood speak to us. That early in the morning, late at night, let the blood speak to you. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. I come with confidence to a throne, not of judgment, but a throne of mercy and grace now. Judgment's already happened. It's a throne of mercy and grace. Come with confidence. They will never be disgraced. One translation says they will never be put to shame. God wants his children to live not in fear and guilt and shame and waiting for punishment. He wants them to have confidence that the blood of Jesus was enough for them. All right, that brings us to our last point, bearing fruit today. God still desires fruit from his people that shows the beauty of his character and his kingdom through their lives. Here's Matthew 21, 43. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, it's away from the Jewish people, and given to a people who will produce its fruit. So Jesus came as the stone that was rejected. He said, I'm starting over. I'm making a new people. I'm laying a new rock. Here's the rock. I am the rock. I am the stone. And I'm going to build this people, both Jew and Gentile. Jews are certainly welcome to it, but the majority of the Jews and the Jewish leadership rejected it. Jew and Gentile, but it's for this purpose. Not just so that they'll go to heaven when they die, but so that they will bear fruit that Israel never bore fruit. He wants us, he has chosen us, so that we will bear fruit, that God wanted a people on earth in the midst of this darkness that would speak to those around him of his beauty, of his goodness, of his power, of his ways. He wanted a people that would bear forth fruit. So we are here not just waiting to go to heaven. We are here right now for the purpose of bearing fruit. We are now the tenants. We are the vineyard and we are the tenants that are watching over this vineyard of our lives and God wants fruit from our lives. So what he did as a representative, he sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not just here to collect fruit. The Holy Spirit's here to produce fruit. He has given us a helper. Galatians 5, 22 through 20, 25 says this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says, against these, there is no law. However, he says, if you are alive by the Spirit, which is the only way you can be alive, is if you've been born again and, and the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. If you are alive by the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit. Then, then say no to the old man, the old passions, the old desires, and start walking in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to give a taste of God in this world through you and me. All right, so let's talk about the difficulty of bearing fruit today. So childhood memories are an interesting thing. Turns out, 
all of these memories that we're trying to make for our kids, and we took them on trips, and we did this, this will be a nice memory, this will be a nice memory, da-da-da-da-da, and then we ask our kids what they remember, and they don't remember any of it. They remember trauma. They remember when things went bad. Focus on the family did a study on this thing. If you want to have a memorable vacation, you need to have something go wrong on your vacation. They will always remember the time the tornado came or the rain got in the tent or you, dad got a ticket. Anything with trauma is what kids remember. So, you know, work on that. Um, so I have got this childhood memory and I am like 12 years old and my brother Jimmy is 10 years old. And all of my other siblings, I've got four other siblings, but they're older. They're, there's a skip between me and the, the other four. And they've all got summer jobs. It's, it's summer vacation, and they've all got summer jobs, but Jimmy and I aren't old enough to have summer jobs yet. So this is, summer is our me time. Summer is, we, it, we get to do whatever we want to. We have a lot of kids in the neighborhood, and summer, our job in the summer is to play, basically. And my dad pulls me aside. He pulls both Jimmy and I. And this was very rare for dad to give us a task directly. Dad, whenever dad gave us a task, it was through mom. Mom would tell us what we were supposed to do. And we liked it coming through mom. You could talk to mom. You could bargain with mom. You could, you could say, you could talk back to mom. And I, I, I remember the time, my, I, I remember the time that I'm very seriously have a meeting with my mom. And I say, so mama, I've, I've, I've come to a decision. They, they paid me, a Jimmy and I, a quarter a week to do the trash. We did the trash, we did the trash area, take it out to the curb. When it got full, we would take it out to the garbage area and then out to the curb and get the cans back. And we got a quarter a week and, you know, we spent that quarter, my oh my, we were excited about that quarter. But I had come to a decision, so I met with my mom and here's what I said to her. I have decided to stop doing the trash thing. You and dad can keep the quarter. <laughs> and my mom is like, I don't think you understand how this home works, young man. <laughs> that is not an option. That, the quarter is pure mercy. <laughs> so, but for dad to give us a direct, a direct task. So I'm about 12, Jimmy's 10, dad pulls us aside, and, he's, and he says, I've got something I'm doing today. I'm, I'm gonna be gone. And I want you two to clean the carport shed while I'm gone. And when I come back, I will look over what you've done and there will be a reward for what you have done. I am immediately traumatized. <laughs> uh, for, for a number of reasons, I'm gonna tell you why, because this is all very fresh. <laughs> Number one, this is my summer. How dare somebody give me a task on my summer? It's my, this is my time. I'm supposed to be playing. Don't give me a task. Number two, this is an impossible task. 
you guys don't, you have no idea. what. A, okay, here's what a carport is. My dad, to save money, we didn't build a garage. He built a carport. So it's just got this, this ledge that the car can go under. We had bike racks on the side. And then we had this shed at the end. Now, that shed contained everything that we, for whatever reason, you didn't want to throw it directly to the garbage. But it, you didn't need it. You didn't want it. So you threw it. You just threw it into that shed. That shed was so jammed with stuff that to throw something in there, you'd have to slam the door real quick and shut it. I mean, this, this thing is a disaster area. This is too hard of a task to give anyone. But then thirdly, we're too young. I am 12. My brother is 10. We're not good workers. <laughs> and then he, he should be leading this task. This is something that he should be organizing, telling us, or at least our older siblings, we're too young to be given this task. But the idea that I would question an order that my dad had given was completely off the table. He wasn't suggesting that we clean this thing. He's like, this is how it's going to be. And so the fact that he wasn't going to be present meant that we are, we're going to have to keep from being distracted. Well, we're 12, we're 10, it's summer vacation, and this thing is filled with different types of balls, different types of very interesting things. And so it's just... It's just everything in there is very distracting. And who cares about this shed anyway? Nobody's going to look in this shed. So the only reason we're doing this is because dad told us and because there is a reward. And, and dad had a number of rewards that he could give depending on how pleased he was. And uh, so that's my little trauma and... Uh, Poor Mary Jo. Mary Jo, I told this story in the first service. She says, what happened? What happened? And I said, you know, honestly, once you get past the trauma, I kind of forgot what exactly happened at the end. I'm not sure. I, did we do a good job? Did we do a bad job? Did we go to the, it could have been out for ice cream. It could have been a brewer game. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I can't even, I can't even remember. I just remember the trauma. So what does this have to do with us? Oh my, everything. So the world is a mess, and the truth is, we're kind of a mess. So God sent this helper, the Holy Spirit, to come and head up the project. And so all we really need to do is, is have this really close relationship with God's representative, the Holy Spirit. This is what intimacy is, is, is just stay close to him and he will, he will do a number of things. One, he will keep us from being distracted. He'll keep us on task. You know, this is important. This is important. If, 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 as long as you're willing to embrace truth, he will, he's the spirit of truth. He will tell you the truth. He never tells you what you want to hear. He tells you what you need to hear. And he will, he will bring you back. He will keep you from being distracted. And then he will show you the next thing to do. Like you look at your own life, maybe your life is like that carport shed. It's just a disaster. It's got a mess. And how would I ever approach this mess? And the Holy Spirit is very gentle and very kind. He says, just let's do this today. 
and he'll give you one thing at a time. And he starts taking stuff out and planting stuff in and, and, and he starts working things in our garden and then, and then he, he says, oh, and by the way, there's a world all around you that's also a complete mess. And how could I ever do anything for the world? The world's a disaster. The world's going to hell. I, 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 what, what, what's little old me gonna do for the world? And the Holy Spirit says, well, actually, I've got something I want you to do. But it's not necessarily that exciting. I want you to love people at your work. Well, what difference is that going to make to the whole world? Well, I want you to bear fruit where you are. I want you to take care of your mom. I want you to... Everybody in this room has got jobs, whether it's a stay-at-home mom or whether you've got a workplace or you're going to school or, or, or God has placed us all over the place and the truth is, is none of the jobs that any of us have, let's just be honest, are that exciting. They're just not. It's just, they're really normal. But God says, I want you to work on that shed. Well, what about, what about my other siblings? And why, why is no one else working on it? And why does this even need to be done? And God just says, I just want you to clean this area. I will help you. We'll do it together. But I want you to bring my beauty and my love and my power and my wisdom to bear on this little thing that I have assigned you to do. And I want you to know, I'm coming back soon. And I've got a reward for you. Do you know what Paul describes us as? This is 1 Corinthians 3. We are God's garden, and, or his field, and we are his building. And we, we need to be careful how we build. The foundation's already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. But we need to be careful how we build on it. We need to be careful how we plant and water and weed and reap because... Uh, there's going to be a judgment day for all of us and all of our works will be tested by fire and everything that's left after the fire burns will be our reward. God wants to reward us. The judgment day for believers is not about sin. That judgment already happened on the cross. Praise God. Praise God. The foundation's already been laid if you're in Christ. You're you're saved. Uh, The idea that I would no longer be my dad's child if Jimmy and I didn't do anything that day was not on the table. Okay, I am going to be his son, whether, whether he's pleased with what we did or, or, or disappointed in what we did. I'm still going to be his son. But God's given us a task. Now, here is the big issue. The tenants got to thinking that it was their vineyard and they could do whatever they wanted to. And the builders got to thinking... This is our house. We'll build it however we want to. I don't like that cornerstone. We're going to have our own cornerstone. And what happened with summer is I thought it was my summer. <laughs> my. Well, here's, here's, here's a message from heaven. Your life does not belong to you. You have been bought with a price by the blood of Jesus. You are, you are not your own and you are now the tenant, and God wants to bear fruit in your life. And he's given us a task. 
I didn't want to have a task. We, sorry, we have one. The one with all authority gave us a task. I want you to be, become beautiful and I want you to spread my beauty. I want you to spread the good news all over the world, all of creation. This is our task.